Hey everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. What do copywriting, making money, social activism, parenting, and economic justice have to do with each other? Well, a lot. Today, we are going to get into all of that and more. In particular, I talk with today's guest about how to ask for the sale and how to get over your discomfort around asking, what she calls being obsessed with your own success, and then why she says charging money is so important for the work that you do with clients. Let me tell you about today's guest. Her name is Tepsi. She is a social justice activist, moonlighting as a business coach and a copywriter. She's the leader of the new women's liberation movement, and it's a movement that uses entrepreneurship as an economic, social, and political tool to impact local and global communities. She's been featured in O, The Oprah Magazine, Cosmopolitan Magazine, and the Internet Business Mastery Podcast. She speaks live and online. She's taught thousands of people, and her mission is to impact one million black women within five years by empowering them to break generational patterns of poverty as they grow businesses. She specifically focuses on racial and economic justice by empowering black women in the African diaspora by using her sacred and spiritual framework. That framework includes writing for profit, building an engaged audience, aka copywriting, business blueprints rooted in the divine feminine and masculine, generational money mindset work and manifestation and owning your power as a woman using self-love, sex, and relationships. All of this that I'm sharing with you comes from her website and her bio, but let's get into the show and talk with her. Here we go. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Today, I've got something fun I want to tell you about. We are putting together a weekly letter that we send out to all of our readers. In the letter, we talk about the joys, the pains, the difficulties, and really useful strategies for making motherhood and work a little bit easier and more joyful. Sign up at startuppregnant.com slash newsletter. We are also organizing all of the information on our website into three streams, pregnancy, parenting, and entrepreneurship. So you can find resources and guides on figuring out how to manage your pregnancy, tips and best books on parenting, and success strategies from other entrepreneurs all about running your own business. Take a look through our website. And if you've got something in particular that you want to see or you want us to work on, we are always reachable by email. Just send us a note. I'm Sarah at hello at startuppregnant.com. Yes, I just gave you my direct email address. And you can tell me what you think would be really useful because I love hearing from you. And if you want to tell us we're awesome, we also take that as well. We love having that in our email inbox. Thanks so much. All right, let's dig in. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. All right, everybody, I have an amazing guest joining us today on the podcast. Tepsi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. I am so excited to have you. 
So the first question I love asking people a lot on the show is to tell me about your morning. What time did you wake up this morning? And what was the first thing you did? Do you really want to know? I do. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be some perfect morning routine. It can be whatever actually was happening. So we went on vacation last week to the bush, the wild safari, I guess you could call it. We didn't get a lot of sleep because we were with our family who likes to have a good time and stay up all night. And then I've been going through, I guess, grief. And so grief has made me a night owl. And I saw the sun come up this morning. I could not sleep. So I didn't wake up until like noon. I'm embarrassed to say, but this is this is real life. Of course, this is real life. I love it. I love hearing the stories because everyone is different. Congratulations on sleeping in. I think every mother listening is going to hope for that for Christmas and (laughs) or whatever holiday you celebrate. Tell me about the grief. What's happening? So this year, I have been through some things. I have things that I've never really expected to impact me, like losing some connections, some friendships that were no longer working out. And I didn't realize that that would really impact me so severely. It was like those people were part of me, I think, and losing those connections. And I think it's been for the better to lose them or to end them. It's still really, really hurt. And so I've been sort of going through the process of, you know, the end of that. And then also I've lost probably like seven family members this year, family members or really close family friends. And two of them were people who really stepped in as like, surrogate fathers. I have, you know, my dad is still around. He's, you know, a great dad. But when my mom died, when I was 14, one of these guys, he just stepped in to help my dad. My dad used to travel for work and we lived in Vermont and he would fly to San Francisco on Monday and come back on Thursday. So Monday to Thursday, this guy, Charles, who was really my dad's best friend, would help out a lot and take me places and, you know, come to my school or whatever else. And so he passed away. Yeah, it's just been a lot of endings, which I also realize is the opportunity for beginnings. But as a business owner and a mom, I have to keep going, right? You have to keep being there, showing up for your business, for your clients and for your kids and your spouse or whatever. So it's been quite the journey. How do you process? How do you move through it? How do you experience it? I think the most natural thing has been to let myself cry, even when it didn't feel like I should cry or I didn't want to cry. But I think your body knows what it's doing when it's releasing in that way. I've done somatic kind of therapy, like trauma release, which is like shaking and like moving your body and lots of dancing to kind of like get the stuck emotions out of my body. They say like when you have, you know, emotions stuck in your body, you can't move on, you can't process, you know, you can't move through. And so I've been doing that. And I've also been doing a lot of Reiki on myself and emotional freedom technique tapping. So kind of every tool in my toolbox to cope. And then some days, none of the tools, I just let myself just cry and feel it because I have the time to do that. And then the other days when I don't really have the time, I have to show up for something, I use my tools to kind of just be there and to show up fully and, you know, be present for the time I have to be there. Hmm. There are studies I've seen about how like dogs, when they go through a startling or a hard or a difficult experience, they shake. They do that like shiver shake. I don't know if you've seen puppies do that. And I'm sure that's so related to everything also that you're going through and saying about like getting the emotions out of your body. Yeah, they've done studies based on, you know, animals and the wild dogs. You know, you'll see like 
let's say a lion going after a gazelle and for somehow the gazelle gets free. What the first thing it does is just shake for a while, you know, it's released the fear and the trauma and the adrenaline probably. And based on those studies, they've created PTSD treatment for people who are, you know, victims of trauma, prisoners of war, soldiers returning from Iraq. And so I read about that. And then I had a good friend who's also my coach and she recommended to me after my husband got in a car accident, she said, Hey, you know, have you heard of this thing? I tried it on my husband. I didn't really tell him what I was doing to him, but I just like, came up to him and I shook him <laughs> up a little bit because he was so stunned, right? He was like so stunned after this car accident. He just was like a deer in headlights. So I was like shaking him around and roughing him up and like, you know, tickling him and doing different things. I saw a difference in him being able to process and move through. So I thought, well, there's something to this because he thinks all my weird he thinks I'm weird, you know, like all these like therapies and systems and tools. He thinks it's so weird. Sometimes I don't introduce them first. <laughs> I just do it. <laughs> You're just like, You're a guinea pig. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I'm so glad you got to go on a vacation. I saw some of your Facebook posts about it. Sounds like it was needed. I want to ask you so many questions in our interview today. So I'm going to shift us over, and I'm sure we'll circle back to all of these themes in so many different ways, but I want to shift us over to your parenting journey. And I'd love to ask you about how you first became a parent, what it was like, and where you are today. So I became a parent in 2005, and I really, I don't know, been going through some things, I guess, in life. and. Having lost my mom when I was 14, I had this idea of this family being the core of who I am and family being really my sense of home. And so I chose to get married, be with this partner and have this baby at only 20 years old. And I don't know, looking back, was it the best decision? Was, was I the most mature person at 20? Probably not. And I would say that we have grown up together for the first probably eight or nine years of her life, of my daughter's life, my oldest daughter, her name is Funi. She was so mature. She was so wise. Like she was a wise baby. She would come up to you and she could tell if you're having a bad day and she would just give you this hug. She never cried. She didn't throw temper tantrums. I think she tried one time and I just looked at her like, what are you doing? And she was like, I don't know. I saw someone else do it. I just wanted to try it out. (laughs) And she never did it again. And parenting her was just really super easy. I mean, of course, parenting is what it is. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of work, but she made it really easy. You know, I would say things to her. She wants a toy or uh, candy or something. And I'd say her to her, you know, that's not on the agenda right now. And she'd say to me, "I, I quite understand mommy. When you think it's on the agenda, maybe you'll let me know. And she just like so many mature responses to everything. When it was time to potty train, it was like, Hey, you know, so I'm thinking it's time to move out of this diaper stuff, you know, and start thinking about using the potty. She said, well, okay, I'll think about it. (laughs) And I was like, you'll think about it? She's like 18 months old. I'll think about it. She thought about it. She really did for like one or two weeks. And she came back to me and she said, okay, I thought about what you said. I'm ready. I was like, you're ready? I'm like looking at her like, (laughs) and from that day on, she took off her diaper right then and there. She said, I'll use the potty. I, I agree to do that. And she did. And we never had an accident. She'd wake up at night and tell me I gotta go to the bathroom. We'd go. And it was just, super easy, right? So I would say she was raising me a lot because she's just so wise and so adaptable and so self-motivated. You know, she 
learned early on to read the time so she could tell me when her bedtime was. And, you know, and I'd say, I want me to, you know, take you to bed and read a story. No, mom, I think I'm going to go lay down and think for a while, like a five-year-old or a four-year-old saying this. I was like, this person is weird. (laughs) My husband, he came into her life when she was two, I think two and a half. So he thought all kids are like her. So he was like, we should have like 10 of these. Like, oh my gosh, you know, she's so amazing. Why wouldn't you want more? And I was like, because we're not guaranteed to get more like this. And we have not. We got two more who are nothing like the first one. (laughs) And then at the same time, our first one is becoming a teenager. And so now she actually needs, you know, some guidance that when she was younger, she really didn't require that much. And now I find myself on a different kind of parenting journey with the teenager and then a three-year-old and a five-year-old at the same time. Well, what is that like? Tell me all about parenting them right now. So the three-year-old is very independent and she can do everything herself. And we go to Montessori school. All of them have been going to Montessori. So they're encouraged, you know, to discover the world on their own, self-directed learning, responsibility for themselves. The little one was quite, I would say, a little bit bullied by her older sister, the five-year-old, until she was about two. And when she turned two, she, she became super fierce and nobody can touch her. Nobody can tell her what to do. She's just her own person. It's really interesting to watch. And she's a lot of fun and very loving, but she is fierce. And then we have our five-year-old who is so, so, so sweet and so thoughtful and so kind. And also just a little streak of autonomous wanting to be heard and seen in the center of attention. You know, they say the middle child syndrome thing. I don't like to go with all the syndromes too much, but she's herself and she likes to be listened to and heard and she likes to lead other people a lot. And then we have our 12-year-old Funi who's discovering herself, discovering what it is to be a young woman, young adult, and learning about the world of boys and, you know, friendships getting complicated and popularity and all of those things. And so the challenge with all three of them is to, you know, help them understand self-love and self-acceptance and teach them to be independent while being active, you know, participants in their communities and in the world, right? So being able to work with other people, but while also knowing who you are, having the integrity and the truth inside you to know, you know, what your compass is telling you, where you're going, really being anchored. So I think those are our biggest challenges with having three girls. And I teach them the self-care things that I do for myself. They think it's weird. And sometimes I just do it to them when they tell me I'm too tired to tap on myself, mommy. And I say, can I have permission to tap on you? And I'll tap, you know, them through a temper tantrum, the little ones or the older one. I'll help her tap through, you know, a friend being mean or, you know, a really tough test coming up at school. So that has been fun. Knowing that I've learned these tools and be able to share the tools with them, I think makes our life a lot easier. Hmm. How has becoming a parent and raising these three humans changed how you show up in your work life? I've always had a, an understanding of myself not being very good at listening to authority. <laughs> and I always knew from a young age that I would be working for myself. And When I went to college, you know, that was the idea. I never knew what I would be doing or how it would work out. I had some dreams, some visions, 
many dreams and visions actually. But when I had my oldest, it was important for me to finish my education and get, you know, what I thought of as a quote unquote so-called professional job so that I could have the stability to take care of her. And then, you know, having the second child seven years later was a really different experience. I felt like a new mom for the first time. I didn't remember anything from the first time around. And so I kind of immersed myself in the being a mom life, being a mom world and kind of put my career, you know, just kind of put it on autopilot, wasn't really thinking too much and about like the future of it and all those things. I had thought I was going to go to grad school that year. And when that didn't happen, I had this baby instead. I kind of put my all into that. Then having the third one really woke me up. It was like, oh my gosh, holy crap, you have three kids. How are you going to do this? Daycare. We lived in Washington, DC. It's like $1,600 a kid per month. And having to juggle that, juggle work, juggle the commute. I was lucky I only had to commute one day a week, but it was still a lot. That one day a week felt so hard to me. So when I had her, my third daughter, her name is Nandi, I decided, okay, this is it. Now or never, it's time for me to start this business because it is impossible for me to be all things to all people all the time. And I can't keep up with the schedule that my employer wants me to keep up with. They were talking about having me come into the office more days a week. That just wasn't going to be possible. What they didn't know is that I was kind of moonlighting as a babysitter, saving money on the four days I stayed home and keeping my two little girls at home and doing my job and running my business. So I was like never sleeping. But my third daughter really just put the fire under me because all the things I'd been talking about, I decided to stop talking and start, you know, taking action and start implementing and stop Netflixing and, you know, all the other distractions and put all my energy into growing a business. So when she was, I think about seven months old, I started, you know, officially, I think I got my first client. And by the time she was 10 months old, I had quit my job. My husband was also able to quit his job. We decided to make the move to South Africa, sell our house and sell our cars and just uproot and move to South Africa because here we have family support and childcare is a lot more affordable. There's trade-offs here. You know, our kids, it's kind of a mandatory that they go to private schools. So, you know, we're paying the expense of private schools, but we have a live-in nanny, you know? So it's like these trade-offs. I have the support I need to grow my business and to pay attention to my business while also parenting. So these kids are really my motivation for everything that I do because I want to be an example to them and I want to be available to them. And that's what my business allows me to do. So when you started your business, did you know what you were going to get into and what you were going to do? Or were you more like treading the waters on the side and keeping a full-time job? What did that look like? I was treading a lot of water. (laughs) (laughs) I know know that. I know that story is what I meant. Go ahead. (laughs) I once wrote this article in the Huffington Post about what it really looks like to grow a business as a mom. And the feature photo is me with one of my babies on my back. She wouldn't let me put her down. Or no, she's on my shoulders. She wouldn't let me put her down. And I'm sitting there working. And that's what it looked like. You know, I had to work. I had to take care of her. I had to breastfeed on client calls. A lot of people want to do it on video on Skype or Zoom or whatever app. And so I would often show up with just, you know, my face from the chin up so that I could be breastfeeding (laughs) down below and I'd be breastfeeding. My kids would be climbing all over me. I was doing client calls on my 
Bluetooth, right, on the speakers in the car while doing the pickup and the drop off for the carpool. That was like a lot of juggling, trying to make sure things were working out in my schedule. In the very, very beginning, I'm going to be honest, I did not sleep. I think I slept about four hours a night. I was working eight hours in my day job, eight hours in my business, at least, and the rest of the time really taking care of my kids and my family and not much time to myself. That was like after I figured out what I was actually going to do. But before I started the business that I have now, I do copywriting. So writing for promotions and marketing and, you know, to help people get more sales with the products and programs that they sell online mostly. And I also do business coaching and helping people start and grow their businesses using the same tools that I've used to grow my business. So I do those two things. And when I first started thinking about an online business, I thought I would sell products, hair and skincare products, like, you know, that I was making in my kitchen sort of. And that did not work because I did not understand branding or like growing community, list building. Those things were really like foreign for me in the beginning. I thought I could just make a product and then people would show up. Like, why wouldn't they? These products are amazing. (laughs) And I, you know, created them, made a website, ran a Facebook ad and totally, you know, saw crickets. Nobody bought anything. Not even my family. I was like, really family? (laughs) So that was kind of my first all in you know, where I tried, I invested, I did all these things and and I wasn't successful. And that was a heartbreaking, but at the same time, it taught me a lot. And those lessons, I, you know, picked them up and I put them into my next kind of idea, which was, I thought I would do life coaching for entrepreneurs who were really busy, but were not taking care of their heart and their soul and the person. And so I was on the way, starting with that, I thought I would do like an online summit and invite a bunch of guests and uh, launch that business. But while I was preparing for that summit, I met someone who was a copywriter and she was like, you are not a life coach right now. I can totally see you doing copywriting. And do you have a portfolio? Do you have anything? And I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought you had to go to school for that. She said, no, you don't. I want to send you clients. And I was like, okay, but I don't have a portfolio. She's like, I just have a feeling about you. And her feeling, I guess, the hunch, whatever weird hunch she got worked out. I did a project for her and then she referred me to a couple of people and then those people referred me to other people. And my business kind of took off like wildfire without me really even trying because I was <laughs> I was winging it. I'd never written copy before. I just looked at what other people were writing and thought, hmm, I think I see a structure there. I think I see a style. I can emulate that. And I did. So you mentioned there's a bit of this like fish out of water, jumping in, learning as you go. And you said you didn't know much about branding and positioning and marketing and like, well, I made this awesome thing. How do people show up? How do you learn? Like what tools do you use? How did you teach yourself? How did that change? So conceptually, I can say I didn't know those things. I studied communication in undergrad. I worked on different campaigns at work, you know, my previous jobs. I conceptually understood how to do it for someone else. But when it came to myself, I really didn't. I was like a just totally blind. So I kind of had to go back to the basics. I took out some of my old textbooks. That was the first thing I did. The other thing that I had to do was I had taken an online program to try and learn about, you know, starting an online business. 
that program taught me a lot of the what, like, here's what you need to do. You need to build a list. You need to, you know, have a website. You need to do launches. You need to position yourself. But they didn't talk a lot about the how. And that's where I got really stuck, the how. And so I found another program where they showed you, like, step by step, here is how you, you know, create a lead magnet, something that people will download online for free and then join your email list. And then you can market to those people, send them emails and and share your offers with them. And so I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. And in the very beginning of my business, the thing that really was very popular was Periscope. And I think there was also another app called Meerkat. And it was just live streaming. It was before Facebook Live was born. These other apps were really popular. And so I was scared out of my mind. Uh, I'd never done like an interview like this or, you know, gone live on video or even, you know, YouTube. But I decided to just take a chance. I saw other people doing it successfully. And I just got on Periscope every day and I would teach and I would share my life and I would share my kids. And I would, at the time we were preparing our move. So I'd give people updates on our move and people became really invested in my life, which shocked me. And while they became invested, they also wanted to know, how do I hire you? So how do we go beyond you teaching me on video to you working with me in the beginning, one-on-one, I was doing one-on-one work. And then later that led to people saying, I can't afford your one-on-one prices. You know, would you consider doing a course and teaching a group of us? And I was like, really? You want that from me? Okay. And so I launched that successfully. And so using that live video tool and sharing my personality, really not being afraid to be vulnerable and sharing my sore spots. You know, you've heard me on this interview telling you my ins and outs, talking about grief and all these things that have been really tough. I found that just being myself and telling people what I'm going through and what my, you know, my triumphs, my exciting things, as well as the challenges and the difficult moments, being a holistic person has really helped me shape my brand and create connections with people who end up wanting to work with me and, you know, sign up to my services or buy my courses. So in the beginning, video really skyrocketed me and my brand. But it was really for me, it's all about finding someone, a mentor who's been where I've been and taking it all the way. And I didn't know that people like that existed when I was doing my products business. But when I learned about it with the service business, I was like, I'm not afraid to put some skin in the game in terms of investing some money to learn from someone who has packaged it all nicely. Because, you know, you can learn from YouTube or wherever else, but it's like really helter skelter trying to put all the pieces together. And for me, I was much more successful. I earned my investment back with the second course. The second course I took, it cost $2,000. And within two or three weeks, I'd made two or $3,000 already. So, you know, learning some of those initial tools was really helpful. But one thing that I have to say, if someone's listening, they want to start a business, you don't have to do all the things at once. You know, in the beginning, I was doing the video, I was doing the one-on-one, I launched my course, but I had never done list building. I had never done a webinar. I had never done a podcast interview. You know, there was a lot of things I'd never done. So don't be afraid to learn new tools and skills and add them as you go along. You don't have to do all the things that wants to be successful. I'm so glad you said that. Actually, there's so much I'm so glad you said out loud. Even the part that it can be so much harder in the beginning for yourself. Like you can be really skilled at something for somebody else at a job and then taking it and applying it. I always get stuck there. 
I write for other people all the time. And then sometimes when I'm trying to write like my own landing page or my own sales page, it's like my eyeballs spin around and try to like jump into each other's sockets. I don't even know. (laughs) It's like just so. And so I'm so glad you said that. I want to ask you specifically about something you said where you're kind of naturally doing this for people. People had to come find you and say, hey, I want to hire you for this thing. Was that seamless? How did you transition people to becoming clients? And what common hiccups are there in, I guess, getting people to pay you for the work that you do? So in the beginning, the one thing that I didn't really know was a business strategy that I did was that I am a huge advocate for other people. I'm a cheerleader. I'm naturally really great at celebrating other people's wins. So I hadn't really done anything successful. I was trying a whole bunch of things and not having success with the business, you know, in terms of money. But I was seeing other people around me doing things that they were successful with. And so I'd reach out and go like, oh my gosh, I love what you did. It was so awesome. Thanks for doing that. Or I learned something from your webinar. Thanks for sharing. Or I know so-and-so who might really want to hear your story. Can I connect you to this person? And they can interview you for, you know, an article or a feature. And I didn't know that by doing those things, well, I should have known. I studied communication and it's really the theory of reciprocity. Those people ended up wanting to do something for me in return because I was helping them. I wasn't doing it with that kind of intention because I didn't even know what I was really doing. I was going in circles, but I aligned myself with people who had gone, you know, where I wanted to go, who were leaders in the industry already. Some of them I joined their courses, so I invested in their programs. Some of them I just simply became friends with. Those people turned out to be a huge asset for me. So, you know, that's how I got my first clients through referral from those people. So now I try to do the same for other people who, you know, show up, come along, and I see have talent. I'm not afraid to, you know, stick up for them as well. So that's how I got the initial first clients through referral. They say like, is it 70 to 90% of all business that we get as entrepreneurs is through referrals. So referral is really, really important. So that's how I got the first client. And we were talking before this interview about how, how hard it was for me when it came to the money piece of dealing with those clients. You know, I did a great service for them. They said they really enjoyed what I had written for them. The writing was successful in terms of the sales pages and the websites that I wrote for them was converting into clients. And yet when they asked me, you know, how do I pay you? There were crickets. I wasn't responding. And they actually had to seek out my husband, some of them and say, you know, hey, I need to pay your wife. I see that you're married to her. According to Facebook, can you send me a link to PayPal? Because they had been trying to ask me those questions, you know, and I just would avoid and I'd be like, so how are your kids? How's the weather? You know, anything else. I was so uncomfortable having money conversations, even though I was used to making money, even though I had a day job where I was paid well for what I did. When it came to translating that into my business, that was nearly impossible for me. So I had to start with doing some money mindset work and learning the value of who I am, not even my service and not even saying, oh, let me own my worth or whatever. Like, no, I need to like love myself. I need to show up for myself. Part of showing up for myself is respecting my boundaries and my energy and saying, okay, in exchange for the energy that I put in, my boundary is that if I put in some energy for this project, I am going to be compensated for it. And at the beginning, I didn't want to have competitive pricing. I was like on the very, very low end. I was working with this coach in the beginning who she said, you know, okay, if you feel comfortable with this, I'm going to let you 
<laughs> charge low, low prices for your first three clients. And after that, I want you to raise your prices and then do three more clients. And after that, I want you to raise your prices. And she said, you know, I want you to raise your prices until you're competitive with me. You know, I want you charging what I'm charging. And that was really, really hard, but it was, it was much easier when I did it step by step. And with kind of her push, you know, saying, you know, you deserve this. You're good at what you do. And so then I started having to practice saying it to myself. I'm good at what I do. I deserve to charge this. People want to pay me because they know they're going to get a quality product in exchange for what they've paid. I often would come back and look at my testimonials and read my letters of recommendations and, you know, things like that. So I could really boost my self-esteem and my confidence. So you have this thing that I've seen on Facebook. It's a hashtag you use called ask for the damn sale. And I just I want to ask you about it because what does it mean? And tell us about it. So I've worked with a lot of healers and a lot of, you know, people who are not necessarily healers, but they do healing work, right? So if it's a parenting coach or a health coach or even a business coach, those people really hold people's souls. And when you're kind of a, a healer, you know, in the old days, healers didn't have to ask for money. Communities really understood that, you know, healers and priests and things like that should be paid. And so they would, you know, come and exchange, you know, some corn or whatever the currency was in terms of bartering for the services. And so modern day healers, kind of a lot of them feel like people should just know to pay me, I shouldn't have to ask or they're too scared to ask. So when I launched my copywriting program, I called it the right to profit. And, you know, I spelled right, W-R-I-T-E, but it's got a double meaning there because I'm telling, you know, the people I'm working with that you have the right to profit. You know, you have the right to be abundant and to experience collecting wealth in your life. When I started with the right to profit, it kind of bled over. People kind of went through the right to profit and asked me for more business help on how to grow their businesses. And I had a lot of clients who I just couldn't get to ask for money. And a lot of them were coming from underrepresented communities and backgrounds, people who have traditionally been on the margins of society in terms of economics. And so I was doing a live stream with my private coaching group and I got really animated. I was like real, you know, just going for it energy wise and, you know, coaching them one by one as they came on the live stream with me. And one of them was like, you know, I have this potential client. We're going back and forth, but I'm so scared. I don't know what to charge them. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to have the money conversation. And so that's when I got like real animated. And I was like, damn it, you have to ask for the damn sale. And they were like, oh my gosh, I love it. And so they all started hashtagging it in the group. And from there, I just started using it, you know, and just telling people, you know, if you don't ask for the damn sale, nobody else is going to give it to you, right? You have to ask. Pepsi or Coca-Cola or Microsoft or Apple do not have any qualms about asking for sales every single day. We are bombarded with ads everywhere. And here my clients are doing, you know, what I think is healing work, God's work, really doing amazing things and facilitating transformations all around them, helping people become the best version of themselves in so many different ways. And yet you're afraid to ask for the sale. So I was like, you know, damn it, ask for the damn sale, show up for yourself, show up for your clients. The only way you can do that effectively is when you're taken care of, right? You can't be worrying about your bills and at the same time, giving your all to your clients. Mm. Oh, I think this is so important. So one of the things you're saying is as we go through and we have all this work, we say, hey, I have this offering. Here I am. Here's what I do. But we don't 
cross the chasm that is, okay, I do all of this stuff and let me ask you to buy it, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're going to ask once and then say, nobody bought it. I'm like, you can't <laughs> tell me one time because, you know, science shows somebody sees an offer between seven and 20 times before they buy it, right? And so you have to keep asking. You have to assume that the person who saw it yesterday isn't the same person who's going to see your ask for the damn sale today. So you have to ask more than once. I have a friend who has a podcast. And when I was like, wait a minute, how come I haven't been on this podcast? She's like, oh, I figured you'd seen me post about it. And if you wanted to be on it, you would have asked me. And I'm like, how would I ask you about something I've never seen before? And why? How many times did you post? And she's like, I posted once. And I'm like, well, maybe I was not online that day. You got to post more than once about the thing that you're doing, right? You got to ask for the damn sale and think of sales as more than just the money transaction. Sales is everything that you're doing in your business. You know, you promoting your podcast interviews, it's you promoting your blogs, it's you promoting speaking opportunities that you're having. It's everything is part of your sales machine, part of your customer journey to making a sale. So you've got to be consistent and you've got to ask on a regular basis for these sales. Mm. Yeah, one Facebook post does not suffice, even though it feels like it when you're the one writing it. You're like, oh, I just asked everybody. Like, nobody wants this. It's a failure. I have to not do it. And yet, like, put yourself on the other side of the seat. I'll be honest. Oftentimes, I'm checking Facebook when I'm on the toilet. And if I read something <laughs> when I'm on the toilet, I'm not also going to buy something when I'm on the toilet. And so by the time it takes me to like go from the bathroom to wash my hands, like back to the computer, I've forgotten about you. <laughs> and like all the good ideas I had about, oh, yeah, I definitely want to do that thing. And then I get to the computer, I'm like, email, right? And unless you're also in my email inbox being like, yo, maybe you read this on the toilet. <laughs> you really want this. I won't actually buy it. It's a terrible example, but I'm happy to be a guinea pig. No, it's not terrible. Like I think 99% of all of us might not want to admit it, but we're looking at a lot of stuff on the toilet. <laughs> so when you said it, it resonated. That's why I'm giggling because I'm like, I've been there definitely. And if you don't have your, your wallet right next to you, it's not going to happen, right? You're right on point. It's <laughs> funny. So I want to unpack this because I know that we could talk about money for a long time. And it's one of the things that I wanted to really dig in with you on this podcast. The first question I want to ask is about, let's call it leveling up, playing big, leveling up. What does Gay Hendricks call it? I'm forgetting the big leap. So as an example, I'll put myself in here as a guinea pig, just because that sometimes helps us spark ideas. I know that when I reach out to podcast guests, I try to find people that I think are like on the same level as me. And yet there's like superstars and then there's like super, 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 superstars like Shonda Rhimes and Hillary Clinton and Oprah, right, that I want to get on the podcast, but I don't even ask anybody. I don't do anything about it. Do you see this happen to people? Like, how do people hold themselves back? I'm using myself as a guinea pig as an example, because I think we all do it in different ways. And how do you work on that? So yes, you're not alone. <laughs> so many of us have the same hangups or hiccups. I think the thing that we have to do, and this is what they teach in mindfulness and in different world traditions that are, you know, shamanic in origin. And even in the, you know, Christian, Judeo and Muslim traditions, it's that you need to ask for something. You need to like get clear on what you want in the world. You know, if you want to manifest something, get clear on it. The next thing you need to do is, you know, figure out what actions you need to take and what the consequences of those actions are. So there's going to be negative consequences and there's going to probably be positive consequences. 
get clear on them, get clear on where you are. And then the next thing that you need to do from there is, you know, be ready to take the action. Most of us get stuck in the first two you know, layers. We'll get clear and then we'll ask, (laughs) but we won't take action. So, you know, you're not going to get what you want if you don't take action. In order to take action, when I've taken my most courageous, bold leaps of faith out in the world, what I do is rely on my past success, right? So I look at what have I done really amazingly and really successfully and felt like in total alignment and flow, you know, previously. I remember things like simple things. Like when I was a kid, I remember learning how to ride my bike and how proud of myself I felt when I was riding a bike without training wheels, how good that felt, you know, and how successful I felt. And I remember graduating from high school and how, you know, seeing my dad's face in the audience, you know, how proud he was and, you know, he had tears streaming down his face. I remember, you know, giving birth and feeling like superwoman and feeling like I'm on top of the world. Nobody can stop me. I feel amazing and I really rely on all my previous success and being really obsessed with my previous success. And that makes me feel successful in this moment, right? So if I'm going to go take an action and do something really scary, let me borrow from those previous feelings and, you know, really pump myself up to take this scary action, like asking Oprah to be a guest on my podcast, for example, if I was you. So that's kind of what I do to kind of move beyond some of those stuck feelings. But people hold themselves back in so many ways. I see people, you know, decide that they're not going to run ads because running ads is slimy and sleazy and only people who are desperate run ads. They'll say things like, oh, you know, I talked to such and such client, but they weren't ready to work with me. So now I'm just going to just forget about them. I'm not going to reach out again because they said no the first time and I'm afraid of following up. But they say the fortune is in the follow up. You know, 90% of all business, I think I read from Grant Cardone, the business comes in the follow up. People don't say yes the first time. So you need to follow up. We sabotage ourselves by thinking, well, everybody else is doing what I'm doing. So What's the point of me showing up? I, you know, I'm no different than anybody else. They might as well go to, you know, Susie Q down the road and work with her rather than work with me. So, so many ways we hide, we play small, we don't follow up with people, we don't add things to our calendar that are really important and we miss appointments, which I'm guilty of myself. We do so many things. And I think every single day, You have to be obsessed with your success. You have to write out what you want, who you want to be, how you want to show up in your relationships, in your business, in your life. And you have to list some of those things that you have been successful at previously in order to create success for yourself today in this moment now. Thank you so much, Startup Pregnant listeners. And thank you to Tepsi for joining us. That concludes today's interview. I'm so glad we got to interview Tepsi and hear about her business, her parenting journey, and how she grew her business over time. For me, I learned so much. Why you don't need a degree to get started, why you can learn as you go, how to ask for the sale and why you have to really ask for the sale, and why showing up and charging for your clients is really a gift to your clients. Because if you try to do it for too cheap, you can't take care of yourself and it doesn't pencil out. I love that. She is going to be back on our show in the next interview, too, because before I started, I asked her if she wanted to talk about social justice and social activism and what it's like to be a black woman married to a white man. 
and how she talks to her children about race. That's all coming up on the next episode of the Startup Pregnant Podcast. So I will see you on the other side for a second interview with Tepsi. Thank you so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First, if you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories of what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit at home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, if you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page and you can buy us a cup of coffee or two or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on StartupPregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.